0: Last year, we were able to celebrate Christmas morning together. This year, of course, it's Christmas Eve. And uh, we get to do that every few years, and that is a wonderful, wonderful thing. We've been looking these last uh, few weeks together through the month of December at these characters of Christmas. We looked at Elizabeth a few weeks ago as the angel came and told, uh, told her, told her husband, the prophecy of the birth of John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin human from a human standpoint. We looked, of course, at Joseph, God's man, who He chose to be Jesus' earthly father, and what an awesome thought that is to think that God kind of, you know, entrusts His son into the care uh, of this man, Joseph. And uh, you know, again, we don't know a whole lot about Joseph from Scripture, but we know enough—a uh, man of deep faith, a man of great courage and conviction, a man of great faith. Uh, as he trusted God uh, through that whole process and, and right on through the the years of, of uh, rearing Jesus. And then, of course, ultimately, the other brothers that come along and, and other siblings that, boor- that were born into that family. Looked at Mary last week. And, of course, we, we see in, in Luke 1... Um, The interaction with Mary and and the angel, the the message that that the angel brings to Joseph as well and all of that. And then, of course, the resounding praise of Mary's Magnificat. Uh, Praise to God for what he is doing and what he has in his providence and in his sovereignty has chosen to, to bring into her life. And it wasn't an easy thing. It was a glorious thing. It was truly a miraculous thing, but it wasn't an easy thing. And yet she receives that gift, and she lives with it then throughout her life. And uh, right on, of uh, course, again, we know uh, from the Gospels that she was present at the Lord's crucifixion there at the foot of the cross and, uh, and all that, that transpires. And of course, we we come now to that great gift, Jesus. Consider him. I, I invite you, if you have your Bibles, to turn in. To look at Hebrews three very quickly, say Hebrews three. All of a sudden, how do we get there at Christmas time? Well, because the gospel, the Christmas is the gospel. And here, as the first century is moving on, the church has been established, and there's great debate about who uh, was the human vehicle that the Holy Spirit used to write Hebrews. I've got my own opinion about that. It probably isn't worth a whole lot. Um doesn't really matter. Uh, we believe it's inspired and, and God gave it to us. But I wanted you to look in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. The writer here records for us, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession Who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Consider Jesus. I ask you this morning to take just a few minutes with me, and to consider him. Consider him the greatest gift that has ever been given. We uh, were out running some errands last night. We came home, and um, you know, the nostalgia kicks in this time of year. And um, our son, Taylor, and his wife, Katie, are here. And our daughter-in-law, Katie, she, she appreciates those old cartoons, which that's a point in her favor. We watched Charlie Brown Christmas last year. I don't know how many of you have maybe done that. Um, but you know, those, those old ones. And uh, it's cute. Charlie Brown is wrestling with the Christmas season. He doesn't understand. He's a little depressed. He's a little forlorn about it. He just doesn't really get why it is, or what it's become, and, you know, the commercialization of it, and, of course, there's a cute little scene, he goes and sees, you know, Lucy, she's got her little psychiatrist booth set up, and he gives her the nickel, and, you know, gets sage advice. But, of course, it it culminates in this little Christmas program, right? And if you remember, it was really kind of profound, and, I mean, it's... It's still out there, and, and you can watch it. But the author of the script has that little character, Linus, come on stage and he recites Luke 2. We heard it this morning, the Christmas story. And at the end of it, he walks over to his friend, Charlie Brown, and he says, That is what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. You know, sometimes in the simplicity of a children's cartoon, we could miss really a profound statement. That is really what Christmas is all about. And we would do well to consider him. There is nothing wrong with celebrating Christmas and the gifts. and all. There's nothing wrong with all of that. We do have to, though, guard about it kind of overwhelming us and overshadowing, covering even the real message of the season of the holiday. Even in our Christian minds and our Christian hearts, we can be overcome with all that it is. I mean, you know, we've watched it over the last, you know, several decades, Uh, Christmas starts July 5th, you know, the ramp up, (laughs) it's what it feels like, right, I mean, it, it used to be December, you know, it crept back through December, and, you know, December 1, and then it got into November, and it started intruding on Thanksgiving, and now you have, you know, one side of Walmart aisle is the Halloween candy, and the other side are Christmas ornaments, and um, I, I said, I mean, it, you know, it, it's, it starts. It's the world we live in. With all of that, with the, the calendar getting so full and so on and so forth, one thing after another, we can just get so caught up and it's just like, can we just get through? Can we just get to January when it's quiet? <laughs> I understand it from a human perspective. I, I get that. But can we guard our hearts and minds and realize that, you know what, that we, we do have a wonderful opportunity to take these moments, to take this time, to be with family, to be with friends, to, to have an opportunity maybe even with family members, coworkers, neighbors, whatever the case may be, to, to have the opportunity to talk about what Christmas really is. I mean, it's just kind of like teed up there for us, right? The writer of Hebrews is calling upon fellow believers to stop what they're doing and to direct their attention to Jesus Christ and to consider for a moment who he is, what he accomplished, what he did hadn't really been that long, maybe 20, 25 years, 30 years max probably by the time Hebrews is written. It's it's certainly written before A.D. 70 when, you know, Titus Vespasian came in and set, you know, raised Jerusalem, you know, just demolished everything and of course that's the fulfillment of the prophecy that Jesus had about, you know, not one stone remaining on another at the temple mount and so on and so forth. That happened in A.D. 70 and so it's certainly before that because the priestly offices and everything is talked about in the present tense in the book of Hebrews. And that analogy and that illustration is being used by the author. So it's very much in people's consciousness. And so here they are just 15, 20, 25 years after Christ living on the earth, going to the cross, rising from the dead on the third day, ministering for you know, a time even after that. It's rather fresh in their minds. And the writer of Hebrews has to hit the pause button in people's lives. And he says, brothers, believers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Can we stop for a minute in the busyness of our life and all of the distractions and everything else that's swirling around us? And just... Think about him. There are so many things that we're screaming for their attention, that are screaming for our attention. But the Holy Spirit here directs the writer to call their attention to Christ. In doing it and understanding his audience, I think primarily written to, uh, to the audience at Jerusalem, Jewish people who are, who are literally living in the transition from an Old Testament to a New Testament economy, as it were, religiously speaking. They're grappling with this. And he employs the example of Moses, certainly one of the heroes. One of the most revered uh, of their ancestry. Moses, of course, freed, was used by God to free the people from bondage in Egypt. But Jesus Christ can free them from the bondage of sin and eternal damnation. Egypt was bad enough. They still talk about it. But Jesus is a better. That we see through Hebrews. A better Adam, a better Moses, a better David, all the way through, and a better high priest. And so he says, consider Jesus. Now, that word to us may mean a little bit differently, may not have the same punch as it did to them. Sometimes when we say, hey, consider this for a second, that's literally all that we think about it. (laughs) Okay, I'll give it one second. I've got other things to do. But this word doesn't really mean this. This word really means stop what you're doing, focus on what we're talking about. I've uh, told it before, and, and he's here today, so I get to call him out. Taylor was the one of the two boys when we had to, you know, have a conversation with him, had to explain something. You know what I'm saying? Wink, wink. Taylor was the one we were like, Taylor, look at me. Because he has the amazing ability to be doing 14 other things. And he will hear every word that you say. And you'll say, what did I just say? He'd recite it right back to you. Information was not the problem. (laughs) That's really what is happening here. The writer of Hebrews is looking at believers and saying, hey, look at me. Look at me. Consider Jesus. huh, yeah, I hadn't thought about him in a while. Hmm. And then he goes on and he he drops in a few things very quickly, highlights, as it were, aspects of his being and of his character. Because this word really means to, to fully observe, to really to behold, to think carefully about something. It's not just a glance. We see the word throughout the New Testament. Jesus employed it often. In the Sermon on the Mount, when he's talking about judging other people, he says, consider the beam that's in your own eye before you deal with the speck that's in your brother's eye. It's the same word. If there was a stick stuck in your eye, you would give it a lot of attention or hope that somebody did. (laughs) They could fix it. That's the same word. When Jesus was talking about how God provides for people, how his watch care over creation, he says in Luke 12, consider the ravens that neither sow nor reap. Consider the lilies. Yeah, he's saying... Look, watch these birds that, that fly and they're cared for and these flowers that bloom and God cares for them. How much more, he says, will he care for you? Same word, consider. He says later, the writer does in Hebrews 10, he says, consider one another. Consider one another, that care that we should have within the body of Christ, that exhortation, that encouragement that comes from from one another, that get your eyes off of yourself, look at other people, to minister to them, to minister with them, to care for them. And so here in Hebrews 3, he says, therefore, brothers, consider Jesus. Consider him. He gives three reasons very quickly why he's worthy of our consideration. He he talks here about his, his position. He talks about what he does, his acts, his performance. And, and then he talks about why he's worthy of that praise. Pastor Josh ended at it in one of the transitions earlier in, uh, in our uh, singing. And to put it another way, it really is a son that is being revealed, Jesus Christ in his incarnation, a Savior that is risen, and a sovereign that is returning. Christmas is about the first coming. The first advent, we long for and look for the second coming, do we not? The second advent. With every season that passes, every Christmas that has come and gone, we are reminded of that wonderful promise that was fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ. And it once again reminds us and stirs in our hearts, gives us confidence that, you know what? He came that time. He will come again. But that longing is there. They had waited for thousands of years. We have waited for thousands of years for the return. So consider him with, would you, for just a a few minutes, I just want to highlight these. First of all, his position. What was his position? Well, he was the son. The son of God. He's fully executing each office, every charge given to him. He, he talks here. He's an apostle. He's one who has sent a delegate, an ambassador, a very official representative. God had sent angels at various times throughout history to deliver a message, had he not. God has sent Gabriel to Elizabeth and Zacharias. He had sent him to Joseph, to Mary. Gabriel had been a busy angel right in front of the birth. That was great. Delivered very specific messages, very needful messages. But now this one was different. Because he sends his son, Jesus, the apostle. The first of all the apostles. A very specific delegate, an ambassador. He says he's a high priest. Well, that got their attention. That that was the chief position. I mean, there were lots of priests. There was only one high priest at a time. That Old Testament, that position of being an Old Testament advocate before God on behalf of the people. Again, Hebrews talks a great deal about the difference between Jesus as the great high priest and all of the others who were, they were fill-ins. They were needful and that was fine. But they weren't him. They weren't Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 1, one of the most profound, and this illustration happens a few times uh, in the book of Hebrews. But in Hebrews 1, 3, we see the introduction of it. It says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is all talking about Jesus. And it says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than heirs. That high priest. He offered himself. He didn't have to go find a lamb. He was the lamb. The nails didn't hold him there. His love kept him there. His love and obedience to his Father. I came not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me, he told his disciples. And to finish the work. That is why as he hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. Because God so loved, he gave. He gave an apostle. He gave a high priest. He gave his son. His son. Jesus Christ was in a position higher than that of Moses because he was the son. Jesus, at his baptism, if you remember, all who were there that day heard it. It's recorded. It was an audible voice from heaven. God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. There was no question That Jesus was God in flesh. He wasn't just a rabbi. He wasn't just a respected teacher. He wasn't just a popular figure. He was the son of God in flesh. Later on in Matthew 17, as we're up on the mountain and there's just a few apostles at that time. The transfiguration. Once again, the voice is heard. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. Consider him. Consider him, the Son. Consider him as he says there, the writer in verse two, who was faithful to him who appointed him. Who was faithful to him who appointed him, and then here comes the the example. Just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. He employs that example that they would know very well. Moses, reticent at times, absolutely, yes. But, but Moses, ultimately obedient to leave his family, to return to Egypt with a price on his head. To deliver the message, to lead the people free, out of captivity. Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him. What was he, to what was he appointed? To be the Savior. Faithful to the appointed task. Faithful to what the Father had directed. This word is employed again. This word consider is employed again later on in Hebrews chapter 12. Know that the analogy is used of running the race. Verse 3, which doesn't get as much attention. It says, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. When the race is hard, when the race is long, when the race is tiring, consider him. Consider him. He ran his race. He finished his race. He was faithful to the appointed task. I alluded to it a few moments ago, but... You know, in John 4, John records it in this exchange about what he's there to do. Jesus says to them, my meat, that which gives me fulfillment, that which nourishes me, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. In John 6, Jesus said on another occasion, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And, of course, Paul records it for us in Philippians 2, that wonderful passage in verses 5 through 11. But right there in the middle of it, he says, who being, talking about Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Made himself of no reputation. Took upon the form of a man. Made in the uh, the form of a man. Became a servant. And it goes on it says, became obedient to death. Even the death of a cross, the Savior. Consider him who was faithful to him who appointed him. Consider him, as he says in verse 3, who is worthy, who has counted, been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Why? Because he came. Because he finished the work. But also because he has now been given a name that is above every name and at the name of Jesus every knee will bow because he is returning. He is sovereign and he is returning and he is worthy of praise. Praise. In a moment, we will close our service singing joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. They didn't receive their king the first time around. They will the second. There will be no question. Jesus is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our praise. There are so many things in our world right now seeking praise, seeking attention. But Jesus Christ is worthy. So will you this Christmas, this Christmas Eve, this Christmas season, will you heed the call and give Jesus your full consideration? The hustle and the bustle and all the busyness that is. I mean, I've got my own to-do list for, you know, later today and this evening and all the stuff. But can we just stop for a few minutes and consider him? There are many things that will scream for our attention in the coming year. Jesus Christ deserves your consideration. Maybe you haven't really thought about him a whole lot. Could I exhort you? Could I challenge you? Could I invite you in the coming year to give him a little more attention? (laughs) To give him a lot more attention. To consider him. Will you consider him as you make decisions, maybe even before you make decisions? Will you consider him? as you see the world around you and you realize that they need to be introduced to him as well so as we celebrate christmas as we usher in a new year may we consider christ as we never have before he is the son he is our savior he is the sovereign who is ultimately returning Because the baby in the manger he's Christ on the cross and he is the king who is returning consider him let's pray Father thank you for the truth of your word the power of it the clarity of it we often struggle with how busy things are in our life and our world, we think that it's just never been like this before. People have always been busy. People have always had distractions. Even in the first century, what we would think is a much simpler time, the Holy Spirit, through this writer, had to get their attention to call them back to consider, to think about, to really focus on Jesus Christ. Thank you for loving us enough to send him to die on Calvary's cross, to pay the penalty for our sins. Thank you for that amazing, amazing gift. Oh, Father, help us today, tomorrow, in the coming year. Help us to really consider him as we should. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Savior, our returning King. Amen.